Welcome to the Creation Podcast. I'm Christy Hardy. Today, we're talking with ICR geneticist, Dr. Jeff Tompkins, about his research and how he became a man of faith and science. And listeners, we've received your questions for Dr. Jeff on Facebook, so stay tuned to hear the answer to those questions later on in the show. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Jeff. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with your personal journey. How did you first become interested in science? Well, I became interested in science because I kind of grew up in a a science household. My father was a research chemist. And then in high school, I became involved in a horticulture uh, science program, you know, that mainly dealt with the science of biology and plants. And I found that incredibly interesting and took advanced uh, classes in horticulture. And so that sort of led to me pursuing a a science um, background when I went to college later on. Tell us about your college education. Well, actually, I was uh, so inspired by my horticulture teacher in high school, I wanted to be um, an educator and a scientist. So I got a a degree in agriculture education with an emphasis in horticulture. So that's how I started out. Um, And then after that, I got a master's degree in plant physiology. Uh, I should back up, I I guess, and say that uh, I got my bachelor's degree at Washington State University. And then I went to the University of Idaho and got a master's degree in plant science uh, with an emphasis in in physiology. And then after that, uh, I went to Clemson University to get a PhD in plant genetics and with an emphasis on the molecular uh, side of things. And what work did you do before coming to ICR? Uh, Before ICR, I was actually uh, doing genomics research at Clemson University. I was on the faculty in genetics and biochemistry, and I was running a genome center. And uh, I I worked as a faculty member there for about 10 years. And we were actually doing more than than plant DNA. Uh, We were working with uh, insect DNA and... and, uh, various sea creatures. I, I was also an adjunct professor at the Medical University of South Carolina in their uh, marine, marine sciences department and doing uh, genetics and genomics work with various sea creatures like oysters and shrimp. And so at Clemson, I was doing more than plants. Um, I was working with various insects uh, like ticks and ants number of different types of uh, bacteria. So I was really kind of all over the place uh, with my DNA research uh, after I got my PhD and was working as a faculty member. So it sounds like science and plants and genetics uh, has been a longtime interest for you. Um, At what point did you become more interested in spiritual things? How did you become a Christian? Well, I grew up in a very unchurched region of the country, the Pacific Northwest. Um, my my family background was was not, you know, <laughs> Christian. Basically, uh, we did go to church occasionally, kind of for social purposes. But uh, I was raised in very much uh, uh, an evolutionary type, non Christian environment. And so I was kind of doing the standard things that high school kids do, you know, party and and have fun without thinking about God much. And uh, I just kind of got fed up with uh, my life, you know, where I was at spiritually uh, shortly after I graduated from high school. 
And uh, I just asked the Lord to do something. I just kind of cried out and didn't know anything about the Bible or God and said, God, please do something. I've kind of had enough. And uh, miraculously after that, within a few months, I had a a Christian roommate in the dormitory uh, at Washington State University, and he shared the gospel uh, with me, and I became born again. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ uh, into my heart and became born again. And so I was uh, about 20 years old at the time. And uh, shortly after that, then I began uh, getting bombarded with evolution uh, from my college professors. And so I kind of needed to bring some resolution to that. Um, I, I didn't, uh, it didn't, you know, cause me to, to reject my faith, but I needed to do some research and uh, build up my faith. So I went to the Christian bookstore and said, what do you have, um, you know, related to evolution and origins? And they gave me a book by a guy who tried to compromise um, evolution with the Bible and kind of mixed the two. And I read that and I said, you know, this doesn't really work. This isn't, this isn't very satisfying. The science is not good. And, and the Bible exposition here is, is not good either. So I went back to the Christian bookstore. I said, what else do you have? And they gave me a book by Henry Morris called Scientific Creationism. And I read that book and it was, it was amazing. The science was was uh, awesome and everything fit with the scriptures. And so from that point on, uh, I became a creation scientist and I read everything uh, that I could get from the Institute for Creation Research. This was back in the 1980s. Read a lot of material from Dwayne Gish and of course, Henry Morris. And uh, my faith just, just increased markedly and so from that point on, uh, I've been a solid uh, creation scientist and, and just really amazed at, at how the evidence supports creation uh, over the years and continues to do so with every, every new discovery that comes out in the field of science. What in particular convinced you about biblical creation? Well, what really convinced me was sort of the fundamentals um, th- that were pointed out by Dr. Morris in his book, and that was that, that we don't see things evolving. We see basic kinds of creatures, but they don't ever become anything else. And we see the same thing in the fossil record. We see basic types of creatures. We don't see transitional forms or intermediates. So we don't see evolution happening uh, in the present, and we don't see evolution happening in the past. And then what was even more amazing was the fact that the evidence from all over the world with these billions of dead buried things in sedimentary rock layers that literally cover entire continents proved that we had a global flood. And in fact, the diversity of life that we see in the fossil record is so much greater than what we see now. We see many more different types of, of animals and plants and insects. And so why, why is that? If evolution was true, we should see, you know, things progressing simple to complex, but we don't see that at all. We, is what we see is a massive extinction event that wiped out an amazing diversity of life in the past. And right now we just see a fraction of, of the original creation. What was it like being a Christian working at a secular university? Well, when I was working at a, as a faculty member, I had to... Uh, basically keep a low profile because the sad truth is if you're going to be an open uh, creation scientist and and speak openly against evolution, you're going to get fired. 
And so I just had to keep a low profile. Um, you know, I would interact with, uh, with people, you know, on an individual basis and, and share my faith and my beliefs. And of course, I was very active in church and, and Sunday school and, and working, uh, you know, with junior high and high school students uh, in the area of creation science and Sunday school. But you have to be strategic. Um, and I guess that would be something that I would give advice to to other people uh, that are maybe PhD students or graduate students or even working uh, in a secular university. You have to be uh, be moving in in a lot of wisdom and discernment and be very strategic uh, in what you do. So, how did you end up working at ICR? Well, I was actually working with ICR uh, on a project called the Gene Project, which is is no longer functioning, but it was a group of creation scientists that were working in the area of genetics. And uh, so I I came out to ICR here in Dallas uh, a couple of times and met with these people in some meetings and was working with them um, outside my normal duties and, and work at Clemson. And so I had a relationship with people out here, and uh, eventually they asked me to come and work at ICR. So I prayed about it and uh, decided the Lord uh, was leading me to leave academia and and to come into creation science full time. So I I made that leap of faith and moved across the country <laughs> to Dallas and the the big city here. And I have been here now about 11 years, and it, it's amazing the things uh, that the Lord has has done here uh, through my research and the, the things He has revealed to me and the directions He has led me has, has really been amazing. Speaking of your research, uh, tell us about your human and chimp DNA research. Well, when I first came to ICR, uh, I was asked to investigate the issue of human chimpanzee DNA similarity. I was told that uh, when we go to churches, people are constantly asking, what is this we hear? Are humans and chimps really 98, 99% similar in their DNA? And so I really didn't know. I had never investigated that before. I had worked with so many other different types of plants and animals and, and things, but had never looked into that issue. And so I didn't know what I would find. So I was open to, to whatever I would find. So the first thing I did was I began investigating the scientific literature, which is what every every good scientist does. They do a literature review before they dive into any kind of research. And the first thing I noticed was that all the major scientific papers that had been published claiming a, a high DNA similarity between humans and chimps were cherry-picking the data. In other words, they were selecting short segments of DNA between humans and chimps that were highly similar and then throwing out everything else. And so there were actually a, a number of those papers where I could factor back in the dissimilar or non-similar data they threw out. And I began coming up with similarities between 66 uh, and about 86%. And so I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> There's some problems here uh, with this research. I just need to do my own research. So I then began downloading my own DNA sequence data and began using the, the public DNA comparison algorithms that were available. And I began finding that the human and chimp genomes were, were not that similar at all. And so it's been a long road. Uh, there's been some problems with the public DNA data. I did find out 
at one point in my research that a lot of it was contaminated uh, with human DNA. So a lot of these chimp DNA data sets actually had human DNA in them, which also inflated the, the similarity levels between human and chimpanzees. But as things stands now, uh, there's new DNA sequencing technology that's just come out in the past uh, few years that gets beyond this, this contamination issue. And so I've been examining that data, and I've been coming up with results that show the chimpanzee and human genomes are no more than 84% similar at best. So 84% tops, and that's a top number. It's probably lower than that when you include the areas of, of the human and chimpanzee genomes that don't even match up at all, that are so unique and so dissimilar, you can't even get any kind of match. So 84% tops, probably lower than that. And what's really interesting, when I published that data just a couple years ago, there was an evolutionist at the University of London in England who actually took the same DNA sequence data, did his own analysis, and used a different algorithm, and he came up with the same numbers, maximum 84% DNA similarity, and no more than that. And so it was very providential that my research that was published at about the same time he put out his information, which he put out on a, a public blog, uh, perfectly matched up. And so it was so providential, and I was very excited uh, to see that. And so some people say, well, why is that important? Why is, you know, 84%, what does that mean? That's still, you know, that sounds somewhat high to me. Uh, but no, not really, because evolutionists need about a 99% DNA similarity to make their theoretical models of human evolution work, where they think that we shared a common ancestor in the past uh, with chimpanzees about three to six million years ago, and just based on, on mutation rates that they've documented, their theoretical models basically need something close to a 99% similarity. Well, when you get away from that, then it totally throws evolution out the window. But the fact of the matter is we would expect some similarity because we, we have similar biochemistries uh, to chimpanzees, to gorillas, to even rabbits and other mammals. So we would expect a lot of similarity uh, because similar things or similar proteins that do similar functions will have similar code. And so we would expect that sort of thing anyways. What about your research projects with ICR geologist Dr. Tim Clary? Well, Dr. Clary has been doing some amazing research, and I'm actually very excited about what he's doing. He is a geologist that actually used to work in the, in the oil and gas industry. So he knows how to examine and extract all of this data from really deep oil wells. And so these oil wells have been drilled all over every continent uh, across the world. And there's so much data here on the sedimentary rock layers that were laid down in Noah's flood. And so he's been literally mapping out uh, the entire global flood all over the world, North America, South America, Europe, Africa. And so his data is absolutely really amazing. And it also is what his data is showing is that the end of the flood basically extends all the way through what we call the, the Cenozoic rock layers. Well, there has been a group of creation scientists uh, that have proposed that the flood ended at the end of the what's called the Cretaceous unit. 
Well, this is a problem because most of the mammals uh, that we see, a lot of plants, even a lot of insects, make their first appearances after that in the Cenozoic rocks. And in fact, because they claim that there's this, this boundary at the end of the Cretaceous, they've had to propose a lot of outrageous uh, creationist ideas. Whales are first found in the Cenozoic rock units. Well, how do you explain that if you accept the flood boundary before that? Well, you have to propose that these whales evolved uh, from creatures that were on the ark. In other words, there were proto-whales on Noah's ark, and then supposedly they walked off the ark and evolved into marine whales. Well, this is complete nonsense because whales uh, are totally adapted to live in the ocean, to dive at extremely deep levels. Um, their entire bodies and physiologies are, are completely different than land animals. And so it's just complete nonsense, but yet you have people trying to propose this because they accept an early flood boundary. Well, because you have people trying to propose this kind of outrageous evolution, that sort of pulled me in as a biologist uh, into this research. So I've been actually looking at the, the fossil data, uh, first appearances of mammals and whales and uh, other creatures, and I have been showing that, that the paleontology completely supports Dr. Clary's research. So from both geology and paleontology, we see that the flood basically extends almost to the entire top uh, levels of the rock layers, the sedimentary rock layers. And it's a big issue, and it's an important issue, so that's why I've been involved in that research. What do you hope to accomplish with your future research? In my future research, I'm excited about partnering with Dr. Randy Guliuza, uh, who is showing that there is incredible adaptive design uh, in living creatures that allows them to, to adapt, to monitor their environments, uh, to make adjustments. And it's, it's part of God's design, his engineering into the creation. And so that's one area that I'm very uh, excited about working in. I'm also very excited uh, about working with Dr. Clary more on the paleontology of the global flood and showing how the rock record completely supports the, the scriptures that describe how there was a global flood event that destroyed the surface of the earth about 4,500 years ago. And I'm also excited about doing more genetics research, uh, not only delving more into the amazing uh, design of the human genome, but also the design of the DNA of other types of creatures that, that God has made as well. What is your favorite Bible verse that relates to your work? My favorite Bible verse is probably Romans 1.20 that says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And in fact, we can even go on <laughs> because this whole section of Romans is really powerful from an apologetics perspective. And then in verse 21, it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. 
So basically, if you're not worshiping God, then you're in an evolutionary mindset. Nature created itself. Nature is is reinventing itself. You're worshiping nature. And this is what Roman says. And it, it's pretty blatant here. You're, <laughs> you've become a fool um, if you go down that path. And uh, that's what the Bible says. Why can Christians be confident in creation? I think Christians can be confident in creation because everything we see in, in the fossil record, in biology, uh, even out in the universe uh, that we can observe with, with deep uh, space telescopes, everything speaks to a, a mighty eternal creator. The complexity that we see in biology is amazing, and it gets even more complex the more we discover. The more vast the complexity uh, becomes, the more we discover. It's, it's, it's amazing. And there seems to be no end to the, the amount of complexity that's coming forth in DNA and biology. We'll be back with Dr. Jeff Tompkins in just a moment. But first, let me tell you how you can hear him speak in person. Mark your calendar for Made in His Image Weekend at the ICR Discovery Center for Science and Earth History in Dallas. Make plans to attend on either Friday, January 17th or Saturday, January 18th. For this special event, Dr. Jeff Tompkins and Dr. Randy Galuza are offering live science presentations that explore the wonders of God's design in the human body, created fully functional, fully human, and fully in His image. Seating is limited and tickets are going fast. So get details at icr.org events today. Now, let's get back to ask Dr. Jeff a few listener questions we received on Facebook. Okay, Dr. Jeff, here's our first question. Paul asks, what is the probability of a single cell organism, given ideal conditions like temperature, pressures, etc., coming into existence without an external intelligent influence? Well, you know, that's difficult to, to figure out the probability of that, but I think we could safely say it's zero. Uh, there have been some evolutionists and, and even uh, agnostic type uh, atheist type evolutionists that have tried to look into that and come up with a probability and it's effectively zero. In fact, uh, one study showed that the probability was pretty similar uh, to that of a tornado going through a junkyard and leaving behind a Boeing 747 full of fuel and ready to fly. In fact, that might even be a higher probability than the reality of a cell coming about by chance random processes. A few of our followers are wondering how they should respond to people that say the Bible is not a science textbook. What would you tell them? The Bible is not a science textbook, but it has basic scientific truths in it that help us guide our science and guide our research. So we have basic scientific truths, like everything reproduces after its kind. It doesn't evolve. The Bible tells us that, that everything uh, within its kind cannot evolve into something else. It only reproduces more of its own kind. Well, that's a basic scientific principle, and that's what we see in biology. That's what we see in the fossil record. And the Bible also tells us things like there was a, a huge global flood. Well, that makes perfect sense because in geology, we see the entire earth covered with sedimentary rock layers, uh, sometimes thousands of meters deep. Well, where did all this come from? Well, obviously it came from a watery catastrophe. 
And then there's other places in the Bible, too, that reveal certain uh, scientific proofs that, uh, and principles that, that help guide our, our research, knowledge, and understanding of the world around us. So, no, the Bible isn't a specific scientific textbook, but it's full of scientific truth. Our next question is about human migration. The biblical timeline indicates our world is only thousands of years old, but some say that the first wave of migrations to New Guinea took tens of thousands of years. How does ICR's research address this subject? Well, there's actually a lot of confusion among evolutionists as to when humans actually migrated out of what they claim was the origin of humankind in Africa. fact of the matter is we find uh, human-type fossils in Southeast Asia that evolutionists claim are up to 2 million years old. Yet you have other evolutionists that claim, oh, humans didn't migrate out of Africa until 100,000 to 200,000 years ago. So actually there is this huge uh, division among evolutionists. They can't agree with one another uh, when humans migrated out of Africa uh, and how the population structures actually arose around the world. But if we look at the Bible, we have the answer to all of this. Because after the flood, we can see that humans uh, basically were in the Middle East. They were congregating there. Uh, they were not dispersing across the earth as God had told them to do. He had given them a dominion mandate to go out into the earth and to disperse. But they didn't do it. So they stayed at the Tower of Babel and began trying to reconstruct uh, their pre-flood uh, empire there without dispersing. And God confused their languages. And so at that point, then we see people dispersing across the earth. And we see all these uh, different languages that have developed. In fact, what's really interesting is, is that the, the development of languages and genetics uh, seem to closely follow each other. As far as, you know, when people disperse uh, around the world, they can only speak a certain language. It'll form, you know, various genetic bottlenecks and end up with different people groups. And I actually have, have written about this. And there was actually a research paper that was published uh, several years ago that, that tied together what is called phenomes or, or uh a phenome would be similar to a genome, only it would be the complement uh, of phrases and words in a language. And they connected that with genetic data and found the two completely matched up. So that's basically uh, the best explanation that we have for the different people groups around the world and how they got there is, is perfectly explained by the Bible and the scriptures. And we know the flood ended about 4,500 years ago, and people uh, dispersed roughly about 4,000 years ago. And this completely matches up with what we're seeing uh, in languages and genetics and the dispersion of people around the earth. Another popular question we're asked is, how do we explain Neanderthals? Well, Neanderthals are just people. And I actually uh, have discussed this in my writings. Their DNA is the same uh, as modern humans. And on top of that, we, see, we still see Neanderthal traits uh, showing up in different people groups around the world. I give presentations and I show pictures of, of people groups that have uh, large brow ridges, sloping foreheads, and they look like Neanderthals. They look like the, the, the skeletons that are being dug up that are supposedly uh, Neanderthal or given that tag. So Neanderthals are just people. It's, it was uh, 
they were people groups. Their traits are still with us today. They still show up uh, in different places around the world. Okay, this is the last question, and it's one we get frequently on social media. It comes from Ruben. He asks, what is the best scientific evidence for God? What is the best scientific evidence for God? Well, that's, that's kind of a broad question. Uh, question and you can come up with different answers because there's so much evidence for a creator. But as I showed in Romans 120, it's, it's obvious from the creation around us in biology and in geology and all the other fields of science that there is a creator. None of this complexity could have come about by chance random processes. And in fact, the information that we see in DNA requires someone to to give that information, to code it in there. It requires a coder. Code requires a coder. And the information in DNA is so amazingly complex that it goes beyond anything that humans could write or code. I show that, for example, genes uh, can be nested inside other genes. Genes can overlap genes. We have DNA that is double-stranded. You have one strand going in one direction, the other strand going in the other direction, yet they perfectly match up, but you can have information running on both strands. So in other words, God is writing code in our DNA, both forwards and backwards, and it makes perfect sense. Well, I don't know of a single human that can write computer code both forward and backwards and have it make any sense. Only a mighty creator could do that. Dr. Jeff, you'll be speaking at our Maiden is Image Weekend event at the ICR Discovery Center. What will attendees learn from your talks? Well, they can find out that you are made in the image of God. Humans stand above every bit of creation because they are the only creatures that were made in the image of God. And so that's really important. In fact, that explains why Jesus Christ had to come and die for our sins and shed his blood for the remission of our sins because we were created in God's image, but we have fallen. We have become corrupt. So we're going to talk about the amazing evidence that shows that that humans are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. We're going to talk about the design of humans and why that uh, disproves evolution. Uh, Also about things like human chimp DNA, why humans are separate from apes. They did not descend from apes. Uh, They were uniquely created in the image of God, just like the Bible says. A special thanks to Dr. Jeff Tompkins for joining us on the show today. And a special thanks to our podcast listeners for asking some fantastic questions. If you'd like ICR to answer your creation questions on future episodes, send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ICR science. Remember to subscribe to the Creation Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. Join ICR next time for another episode of the Creation Podcast.